Um, we've been just talking about the presence of the Lord and just over the last little while, uh, just in terms of, of as a church where we really feel the, what God is saying right now. If I can encourage us as a church, we're not meant to be discerning uh, in the natural, we're meant to be discerning in the spiritual realm because we are spirit beings and uh, we live by the Spirit, those who walk by the Spirit. So as we're walking by the Spirit, we're discerning all the time what's happening in the spiritual realm. And I want to encourage every single one of you, it's not that important in the natural, who becomes president of America. What is important is what's happening in the spiritual realm, and there's incredible things happening in the spiritual realm, friends. What is happening in the spiritual realm is that the church of Jesus Christ, the apostolic church, the church that Jesus is building, is being established, friends, but it is being separated out from the apostate church, which is actually no church at all. A church that doesn't even hear Holy Spirit or doesn't even operate according to the Word of God. But they do sit in buildings, friends. That's what's happening in the spiritual realm. So, friends, it's a challenge to every single one of us to go back to Him, to gaze upon Him, because He's the one who is to be elevated. He's the one who is to be exalted. Every other name, every other knee must bow to the name of Jesus. He's establishing at this time His throne. Amongst his people, as, they, as he is enthroned, friends, so he will move with mighty power and authority as he is enthroned. So everything else that can be shaken must be shaken, right? So that only that which is, can't be shaken is left. Amen. That's not what I'm preaching on this morning. But I want to just encourage us that it's in his presence that God begins to move in transformation in our lives. Because Christianity is about transformation. If you've got your Bibles, you want to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It just helps you with the Scripture. It's always good. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword. Ooh, my voice. You know, when, I, when we sing, when we worship, friends, I feel like I don't give Him my all when I just stand there and go, You are worthy. I love that you can just shout. And I want to encourage you, in this church, you can shout. You can go as loud as you want because He is worthy. Amen. And that's what we're singing for. Not so somebody else can hear my soprano voice. Not so somebody else can go, whoa, you should be in the band. He's awesome. No, so that God can hear. And He can hear not what's coming out of my mouth, what's coming out of my heart. What's coming out of my heart is you alone are worthy. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. You probably all know it, but let's just... Uh, read it quickly. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's verse 17. Verse 18, and we all with unveiled face. Don't you just love that? We've got an unveiled face. Just to encourage every single one of you, if, they, if a person is not born again, they have a veil, right? So we mustn't get frustrated with them. What they need is love. They don't need, need a battering and a trying to uh, tell them that they are a little bit what they need, friends, is love that will enable the Lord, the Holy Spirit, to take off the veil so that we as the people of God who are born again have an unveiled face. We don't have something veiling our thinking and our understanding. It's been unveiled now. And now what happens is with an unveiled face, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image. From one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Amen. Glory of the Lord is who God is. 
And we with unface, unveiled face, we with unface, we with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed. As we come into His presence, why we, we love His presence, why we're so passionate about the presence of the Lord, is because when you come into His presence, if you're born again and you're a child of His with an unveiled face, as you behold Him, as you behold His glory, who He is, you are being transformed. That's why it's so important, friends. We don't come to church for entertainment. We don't come for the band to sing us a whole bunch of songs because that does nothing of a transformation in my life. What does transform me is the presence of the Lord. We have an incredibly, wonderfully gifted group of people that God can use to help us to come into His presence so that we can be transformed. Being transformed, that doesn't mean we're perfect right now. We're a work in progress. God's working on our lives. But we are being transformed as we come into His presence, friends. And as we gather together as the people of God, Sunday should be a place where people can be transformed. If the only thing that's moving in, the, in our Sunday meetings is the curtains or the wind that's blowing uh, through the doorway, friends, then we've got a problem because we can't be transformed without His presence and His glory, friends. And as we worship, His glory comes and begins to transform us, and we change, and we change. We change into what? Changed into the image of Jesus Christ. Changed into who God destined and called us to from the beginning of times, what we were created to be. I want us to just, just before the Lord now, let's just all quiet ourselves before the Lord. Just switching off my transmitter, and I'm putting on my receiver. Because unfortunately in the church today, so many of us have been in church for quite a while, and we've been taught a lot, and we know a lot, and unfortunately we, we, we jump between transmitting and receiving. And uh, when God wants to speak, friends, you can't be transmitting. And often when we're transmitting, friends, we allow the enemy to steal away that which he's wanting us to receive. So... Lord, we just thank you right now. We put on our receivers just to hear that which you're saying. We switch off all our transmitters. We know we're intelligent. We know we know the Bible. We know we can actually quote verses. But right now, we just switch that all off, and we just put on receiver in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a lot of thoughts that I want to throw out today. Maybe I'll chat rather than preach, but... How big is God in our lives? Has fear replaced how big he is? I wanted to talk. Where's Lukey? Lukey, I've got the title again, eh? Up front. I want to talk on the strength of our lives is our affection for him. The strength of our lives is our affection for him. Let me throw out a thought. What causes you to make something more important than anything else? What causes you to make something more important than anything else? What motivates you to action? What causes you to prioritize something in your life more than anything else? What motivates you and causes you to move to action? Let me give you a few things. How about self-preservation? Physically, my life is in danger, or just self-preservation if somebody is trying to attack my reputation, or that will motivate me to action. How about self-benefit? Something that will benefit me, amen? 
Black Friday, I wake up early, get in front of the doors, charge down the aisle to go get my big screen TV for half price. Self-benefit, maybe even socially, it's going to benefit me, it'll motivate me. Maybe, what about self-indulgence? Material possessions that's going to help my comfort, might motivate me, stir me to action, place something of higher priority, take my sleep, put it one side, wake up, go stand at game doors. Put my comfort and my kind of ease of being able to walk and have freedom and have elbows in my face and all four. It's actioned me for something, right? Making the point. So what happens when it does not enhance self? So what happens if in our natural nature and in our operating on this planet and in the spirit of this age, the majority, if not all the things that motivate, that place something higher than other, any other priority, that motivate me to action, relate to self, what happens if it doesn't enhance self? When it doesn't enhance self, what you're left with is love. Because if it doesn't enhance self, then you're left with God and others. So Jesus very cleverly said, deny yourself. See, we, we want to be love. We're coming before the presence of the Lord. He's transforming us into love. Now he's just explaining to us what we're actually being transformed into. A people that are consumed and motivated by love. Not by benefit, friends. Not by self-comfort. Not by uh, self-preservation. It's, it's got nothing to do with that because that's dead. It's got to do with love. That's why God says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. And the second commandment's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Because when I'm dead to self, then my motivation is love, friends. And it's love for God and it's love for others. Amen? That's what being transformed into His likeness is all about. So when I was meditating on all of this and saying, Lord, we want to love you more. We want to we we be consumed and transformed in your presence to be who you've called us to be. And we love you so much. And I felt like the Lord said to me, okay, start at this point. And the starting point for understanding all of that is God is good. We have to start with the goodness of God. We have to be consumed with the reality and the understanding that God is good. You've got to get to that point in every one of our lives where we can sit down where we can meditate on it. And every single one of us has to be real here today and say that often we... We, uh, is it vacillate between um, 
God being good, and I'm not sure. Well, that doesn't seem to line up. So I'm not sure if that's, if he's good there, or I don't understand, and we get confused, and we begin to drift around this particular understanding. And this needs to be a foundational understanding and solid in our lives. So let me start with a couple of scriptures here and then just move along. In Luke chapter 18, it's a beautiful story. We all know it. Luke chapter 18, I think it's around about verse 18, is the story of the rich young ruler. Now, there's a key understanding there about the rich young ruler because if you put those three, three letters or three um, words together, it does equal one thing only, and I'll tell you what it is right away. It equals pride because he was rich, he was young, and he was a ruler. Amen? For most of us, our aim in life is to be old and to retire wealthy. This guy was young, and he was rich, and he was a ruler. How he got it and whatever, we don't know, but here was an arrogant man. And he came to the Lord, and he said to him, he said to Jesus, he said, so what must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's an amazing answer that Jesus gives straight away, because here's a guy who's coming along, whatever, and asking a very important question. Most people, even in the church today, most pastors would say, what a good question. That's very good. Now sit down. I'm going to explain to you and just unpack this whole thing very nicely for you. Jesus doesn't even address the question, friends, because the man said to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus goes straight in for the kill, and he says, no one is good except God. Why is he going there, friends? He's going there straight away because he called him good teacher, because in his arrogance it was, yeah, I've, I've watched you, I've seen that you speak pretty well, that you seem to be a guy who's quite a motivational speaker. I'd probably pay a couple of bucks, maybe 500 bucks, to come and sit and have a session with you, because you're really good, so you're a good teacher. But Jesus wanted to explain something, wanted to explain something very clearly here. There is no one that is good except God. So if you're going to come to me and ask me a question, the first port of call that you have to address, my friend, is that God is good. No one else. So if you're coming to me with an understanding that I am God, See, he said, only God is good. We have to, when we come before the Lord, when we come into his presence to be transformed, we have to understand that God is good and God alone is good. Otherwise, we come in our pride and our arrogance, friends, which is dangerous because then we're beginning to add something to the gospel. Because we have to never forget, friends, that the Lord looked to and fro across the whole earth. There was no man, no one good. John is weeping as he sees a revelation in heaven that nobody was worthy to open the scroll. There is only one who is good. And we know the story. He, Jesus just unpacks and says, okay, well, all the commandments, uh, you do this, do that, whatever, and that's, again, irrelevant actually, to the heart of pride, just seeing where he was going. Actually, most times Jesus asks us questions so that we can see our own hearts. 
So he processes along there and goes, yeah, but I've done all this, done all this. And then he says, well, sell all you have. Friends, that's not a formula. That's going straight to the heart. Only God is good. Are you addressing me as God? Are you prepared to lay everything else down and to acknowledge I am God? And then are you asking me as God? Or are you just asking me as somebody who can give you something more in your life because you've already got a lot? James chapter 1, if we want to shoot there quickly, James chapter 1, let's just go there. James chapter 1. Hopefully I can pull this all together in a short amount of time. I just love James chapter 1 because it's, it's like, it's, don't you love uh, books? I mean, it's been so attacked over the years, whatever, whether it should even be in the Bible. Because these books really challenge. They, I love, Bill Johnson says they growl at you. They're like, they just growl. You know, you start off in verse 2 and it says, count it all joy, brothers, when you encounter various trials. Yeah. <laughs> For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance. Let endurance have its full effort or result that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Man, that should be such a, a declared, powerful uh, promise that we can be complete, lacking nothing. But I just don't like the verse before it. It's just like, it's not, it's not, it's not so nice. It counts it all joy when you encounter trials. How, Lord, how, how do you do that kind of thing? Who knows? So, but I'll, you'll know at the end of today. Um, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. He gives generously to all without reproach. Isn't that beautiful? Let him ask in faith without doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. We went from the fat to the fire straight away. Boom. <laughs> hits us right in there in the heart. Let us ask in faith. No doubting. Anyone who doubts is like a wave in the sea tossed to and fro. That person, not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all his ways. Why is he double-minded, unstable in all his ways? Because he's wavering on one thing. What is it? The goodness of God. The goodness of God. I love, let the lowly brother boast in exaltation and let the rich in humiliation because like a flower of the grass, he'll pass away. Sun rises, heat scorches, withers the grass, flower uh, fails and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of pursuits. What is he really saying there? He's just saying, whether you're rich or poor, whatever, our acknowledgement is that God is good and that he is the highest authority in our lives and he will be exalted. It's a beautiful if you carry the theme through, it's very nice. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, uh, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say he's tempted of the Lord, um, because God's, he cannot be tempted, neither does he tempt. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin which is fully grown gives um, brings forth death. Verse 16, I hope. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers and sisters and family. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of His own will, He brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of His creatures. Isn't that powerful? It's so powerful there that he's saying, don't be deceived. Let's get this and get this truth clear and uh, uh, 
perfectly established in our hearts and in our lives. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from the Father above. Every good gift. Anything that I receive, that's good, comes from Him. There is no one else on this earth that is good except God, friends. Psalm 14, you can go read it, verses 1, 2, 3, talks about there's nobody good. Only He is good. Friends, so the goodness of God, when we realize, we come to that place of surrender and yielding and understanding that we are not good. There's only one who is good. When we surrender in that place, we understand, friends, when we give our lives to Jesus and accept Him as our Lord and Savior, and He comes into our lives, goodness comes to dwell inside of me, friends. That enables me to display and express goodness. But it's not me, it's Him inside of me. I will not boast in my own. I will boast only in Him. That's what Paul says. I will boast in His goodness. So His goodness is now inside of me. But I will not be swayed or moved by circumstances or situation to first of all think that I am good or secondly to think that He is not good. This is foundational but vital in our walk with the Lord, especially in being transformed into love. That we know He is good. He alone is good. And then that we, there's of ourselves, nothing in ourselves is good. Why is this important? It's absolutely vital to what I'm about to share and say, uh, say some things. But let me just also just give you a couple more scriptures for the fun of it. Philippians 1 verse 6, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. He who began a good. He's a work in your life, but it's good. It's goodness. It's a good work. It's good. It's good. 1 Timothy 4 verse 4, everything created, everything. Everything. I can't even read my writing. Go and read 1 Timothy 4 verse 4. Romans 8 verse 28 is one we know so well. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. Isn't that beautiful? We know that God is good. We establish His goodness. His goodness is in our lives. Then we know that everything in our lives works together for good. Woo! What a scripture that we can stand on, that we can believe, that we can trust. Amen? When we know this, friends, the second thing that's vital this, we're, building, we're doing building blocks here this morning. The second thing that's vital is once I know that He's good, when I know that He's good, friends, then I also become what? Content. Contentment. 1 uh, Timothy 6 verse 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. See, if we understand this, friends, then godliness isn't just godliness. We're not trying to be godly. We are trying to be transformed into His likeness. And the fruit of being transformed into love is godliness. And as we understand who He is and His goodness, we not only are godly, but we are content. It's vital that we get this. There is a contentment in our hearts. Paul could say this to us. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 12, 13, round there, it says, he says this, he says, I have learned to be content, whether I have a lot 
or whether I have little, it doesn't matter about the lot or the little. I know that God is good. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So now I'm understanding the goodness of God. I'm understanding that I can be content in who He is. Now, we kind of move into the third part, which is very, very important. And, uh, and if we understand that God is good, and we understand this next part, friends, then we, we create an environment where God can move so powerfully, and He's unstoppable. And I believe this is the season and the time, this is the new epoch of what God is going to do in the church today. One, it's going to be a people that are not, they've denied themselves, they dead to self, friends. They are not motivated. They don't put priority. They don't make things more important based on themselves. They've died to self. They're not interested in self. They just know that God is good. They are motivated and moved by the goodness of God. You see, when I'm motivated by the goodness of God, friends, I'm not going to Russia or to Pakistan, friends, um, because it's the right thing to do or because, hey, I'm trying to get the gospel out there. I'm just motivated by the goodness of God. I'm not traveling with an agenda. I'm not traveling with something on my heart because I'm adding to what God has been saying to my life is now added to. And no, I'm just surrendered and submitted to His goodness. I'm just wanting to love people and He's just leading me. Friends, when you have a people like that, then it's simply all about hearing. And unfortunately in the church with, with the journeys of the programs and all the stuff that we've done, friends, we've made hearing completely something that doesn't even, isn't even necessary. You just belong to programs and do a whole bunch of stuff. Friends, it's vital in this last days in our age to have a relationship with God and to be able to hear Him because I'm motivated simply by love. And when I'm motivated by love, friends, it's just simply listening and obeying. That's what love is. I'm not motivated by how it can enhance, how it can affect, what it can do. And I've read scriptures, and I want to add to my little thing too, because I know that if I go there, then my powerful prayer will change this and do this, and my thing will do this and do that. You're just motivated by love, friends. I let Jesus do whatever He needs to do, because He's the only one who's good. And my life is surrendered completely to Him, and whatever He's telling me to do, I just do it. And I'm content in that, friends, whether I have lots or whether I have little, whether I'm abounding, whether I'm not abounding, it doesn't matter. It doesn't change my heart and love, friends, that I will continue to do it because I never did it to abound. I never did it to not abound. I did it because I'm love. Oh, Rabbi Sunday. Let's get sweaty work up here. So the other one that I want to add to very quickly. Everything was accomplished at the cross. Everything was purchased at Calvary by the blood of Jesus. So now, stand on those two foundations. One foundation, God is good. God alone is good. Only God is good. Second foundation, Jesus did everything on the cross. Kind of puts me in my rightful place. Zero. See, the church doesn't want to hear this because we're so self-indulged. See, unless you can come from a place of zero, you can never be a hundred. See, because that's where God wants to take you. But you'll never ever get confused in understanding who you really are. And you'll never be after the hundred. Get your, if you can get your receivers on this morning, you will hear. Because I'm picking up already that the transmitters are flicked on again. 
Because we're so intelligent, friends. We've read this Bible. We know we're really picking up scriptures and we're trying to counter and we're trying to allow and we're letting birds swoop in and steal the word of God. You see, you are the treasure of God. You're the apple of his eye. You are his absolute delight. He gave everything in heaven for you. You are worth everything. But in order for you to be that, friends, you have to die. You have to become naught. Because your life without Jesus is naught. That's not something that we like to be preached because it just makes us, no, no, but I want to quickly, let's not move too quickly. These two building blocks in what God's doing right now, friends, transforming our lives, is that God is good. He's the only one who's good. And that Jesus did everything on the cross, complete work. It's all in Christ. If you just quickly jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's give you a scripture. And then if I can get to it today, I'll just land with something that hopefully will explode everything. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. If you're just reading from, from verse 1, it says, And I, when I came, is this thing on? It is on, eh? It's all good? <laughs> I'm on. I hope I'm on. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. How I long for men and women and young men and women to rise up in the church today that don't want to copy TV personalities and people that are motivational speakers that know how to speak and to declare and to give you nice little fancy stories and little and flashy stuff, friends. How they long and they say, I don't come to you. I'm, I didn't come to you now with fancy words. I'm not a motivational speaker. I'm not, oh, I can't do all fancy things. I can't make you wow. I can't give you goosebumps. This is the Bible. Did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech and wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Wow. You're talking about Paul, yeah? You're talking about a Pharisee of Pharisees. That's what he said in the Bible. Pharisee of Pharisees. This is a guy who grew up from the time he could go gaga. He sat under the, at the feet of one of the greatest rabbis of their day, Galileo. He sat there and he listened. Friends, this guy knew the law. He knew the Bible back to front. He knew everything that just needed to know. He was the most passionate. As far as zeal was concerned, he says, I was the greatest. He has a guy who's incredibly zealous and powerful and has everything of his day and age that you could ever think of that you need. He had it. And he comes and he says, I determined to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Wow. Isn't that scary? I want to ask myself the question. I'm asking myself the question the whole week. Spend many hours, hours and hours in tears saying, God, I've tried over the years to impress how much I know about the Word of God and how it's beautiful and wonderful and this and that is, friends, but I want to know nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified because He purchased everything on the cross. And friends, that's all we need to know. We need to go before the cross, bow our knee and say, you did it all on the cross. And if I can understand that and live for that, then that is everything, friends. I don't need to impress with all the scriptures that I can quote and big, wow, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's impressing man. It doesn't impress God. And I'll tell you why, because let's carry on reading. Yes, Grant, carry on reading. Okay. So, no, nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
Wow, doesn't sound like the great apostle. I was with you in my five-star hotel with my 14 guards, and um, so impressive, and I walked there in my Rolls Royce, and um, it was all, you were intimidated by me. I was not intimidated by you. I'm being naughty, okay, moving on. Um, in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. I didn't even know if my words this morning are in plausible words of wisdom. But I don't care if they're not plausible words of wisdom. This is what I do care. But in demonstration of the Spirit and of its power. See, what's gone out of the church? The demonstration of the Spirit and its power, and now we have plausible words of wisdom. It's very impressive. And why, friends? I want to say this simply today. Why, friends? Because we've added to the cross. What we're after is the presence of the Lord. We want to be transformed into love, friends. And we do not want to add to the cross. Finishing what I was reading. Words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power. Listen to this. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That statement, friends, is mind-blowing because I've read this for years and years and years, and never actually clicked or understood. But listen to that. I'll read it again to you. It says, So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Friends, when I stand up here and I begin to preach to you the gospel of Jesus Christ, is your faith, is your faith in the gospel? Is your faith in the power of God? Or is it in the wisdom of man? In the nice things that Grant's saying, whoo, goosebumps, that was really good, whatever. Because if it is, friends, then I'm adding to the cross. And that's the, the challenge of every single person, friends. This is a, not a thing that needs to be taken lightly. Anybody who stands up against to minister the word of God, they need to have a fear. Do you know that Paul had a fear? The only fear that Paul had was that he was going to preach something of the wisdom of man and not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's very powerful, friends. We need to go back and understand that this gospel was so powerful that it came in demonstration of the spirit and of power if it's the gospel. That's how it came, friends. Otherwise, it comes in plausible wisdom of men when it's really nice and we create theologies and all kinds of stuff that justifies why there's no power. I'm talking about Paul here, the apostle, who's saying this, I came with fear and trembling when I came and stood before you, friends. Now we've got people standing up in the pulpit, and I've included myself. Stand up in the pulpit and want to share this, that, and the other, and share a whole bunch of stuff, friends. But is it creating people's faith in plausible words and in the wisdom of man? Or is it putting their faith in the power of God? That when you rise up and you walk out of here today, your faith is in the power of God. Not in the guy who's standing up there spitting and, whoa, you're sitting, he's really active. He's exciting. He pops veins and, whoa, that was great. But it doesn't help me when I'm out there and I'm needing the presence and power of God. I've got to invite him to come and pop veins in my wherever I am. <laughs> Friends, what I... 
I want to encourage us is that when we've got these building blocks together, now life begins to look a little differently, and we begin to look at the way we walk and what we do completely differently. I'll land with this because I want it to help us and shape our minds. This blew my mind away, and I had to rethink about my understanding of Jesus and how God operates. So are you ready for this? If you go to 2 Corinthians, let's go quickly to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If your comfort zone is getting a little uncomfortable, then stand up, rub it, um, um, turn around a couple of times, and, uh, and sit down again. Because this is very important now. I'm going to land with this, but it's probably the most important thing that I can share with you this morning in light of all this. When you have this established in your heart and life, look what happens. So we're on chapter 12, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm reading from verse 1. Uh, yeah, let's just start from verse 1. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I love Paul. I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. Woo! Yoo-hoo! Visions and revelations of the Lord. One of the icons of today's church. Amen. I want to go on about revelations, visions of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Uh, I love the way he's saying this, but that's for another day. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except of my weaknesses. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I will be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Wow, this guy. Verse 7. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For, which, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Here's a powerful revelation, understanding, which I'll just drop out and leave you to meditate and mull on for the rest of the week. Here's Paul. The great Paul, and he's beginning to share with us and said, I knew a man. And we know, okay, yeah, I know he's talking about himself. But, but he, he, he's, he's already trying to, he doesn't want the elevation to be on him. He wants, to under, he wants us to understand something. So he's already trying to say it in the third party, right? So I knew a man. He went up to heaven. Whether he was in the body, out of the body, we don't know. But he went up to heaven and God began to declare such revelations to him that cannot even be uttered. 
You can't even share these. You can't even tell people on this earth the things that he saw and the things that God spoke to him. It was an incredible encounter with God. And then he says, to make sure that I would not be conceited and arrogant and pride about all these incredible revelations and the stuff that God's given me, a messenger of Satan came to buffet me. And then I pleaded with God, and God said to him, no, my grace is sufficient for, for you, uh, for my power is made perfect in weakness. There's a, a truth we could miss here that we need to understand very carefully. God took Paul up to heaven and gave him incredible revelations and encounters with him. Which you can't even speak and tell people. It's so powerful. It's so wonderful. But in order for him to do what he needed to do, friends, a messenger of Satan is sent to buffet him. So we understand that first and foremost, there is an attack from the enemy because he wants to take out Paul because of what Paul has encountered and what he's seen and what he knows. And what the enemy tries to do, friends, the enemy wants to puff him up. What is, that's what the enemy always does. The enemy's plan, his purpose is to puff Paul up. So he can puff him up uh, and, and, and make him all proud and arrogant and he can lose his way. Or he wants to take him out from his journey. So that's why he says here, uh, he talks about uh, in his weaknesses, which are hardships and insults and all kinds of things. So we know and understand he's not talking about sin here or bad choices. Right? In his weaknesses, his weaknesses aren't bad choices or sin here. What he's talking about in his weaknesses is the challenges, the difficulty, insults, the hardships that come because of the Word of God, because of what he's encountered. But subtlety, a subtlety, subtly inside of this, friends, you've got to ask yourself a simple question that he went and he asked the Lord three times. So it's very important when this enemy tries to attack us, we go to the Lord and we ask him to help us um, to deal with the, 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 the enemy's attacks, right? Clearly, he's telling us that. But three times he goes and then the Lord says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. So friends, ask yourself this simple question. Paul here, you can, you can read it twice, it says it, that it's so that he wouldn't get conceited, so that he wouldn't get arrogant. If we understand the Word of God, it's trying to tell us here, friends, that God was at work in the midst of what was happening in Paul's life and in the midst of Paul having to journey, having seen this, and now the danger of, being of him being arrogant. You can see it's not catching yet. He says, my grace is sufficient. And my power. So what he's telling Paul is that this thorn in the flesh, this messenger of Satan, is going to buffet you. It's going to attack you. It's not just an attack of the enemy. It's also a thing that I have allowed because it's stopping you from being conceited so that you can operate in what I've called you to so that the grace and power of God can be manifest through your life so that Jesus Christ can be exalted in grace and power because that is who is grace and power. Now, yes, I know as religious minds, we are really freaking out, friends, but understand this. There is a powerful understanding here that God is trying to speak and to say here. 
is that sometimes when we're walking in life, friends, we see it a certain way. God is at work in another way. Sometimes in our lives, friends, when we're thinking that, hold on a minute, um, God, don't you want to take this away? And God's saying, listen, let me just say it. Humility, God placed humility way higher than Paul's comfort. He was being buffeted by a thorn. And God said, it's okay, son. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul said, I've been given this incredible revelation. And it would have made me conceited, arrogant, if it wasn't for this buffeting. And then it's a buffeting of Satan. No, it's also God at work. See, it's freaking you out because we're not reading the word for the word. We're reading the word through the veil. I can pick it up in the spirit. How do I unpack this further? Go to um, Hebrews chapter 11. Go to Hebrews chapter 11. Maybe you've never read this before. Let me just let me read it to you in Hebrews chapter 11. If you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and you read from verse, let's read from verse 30. Let's read from verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. That you can put on your fridge. Isn't that powerful? Look at that. Wow. Escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, quenched the power of fire. Let me just read on to verse 35. Others suffered mocking and flogging, and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and in caves of the earth. By faith, they escaped the sword. By faith, they were killed. By the sword. By faith, they became mighty men and conquerors. By faith, they were put in chains and thrown into prison. It's all by faith. By faith, some stopped the mouths mouths of lions. By faith, others were sawn in two. It's all by faith. What am I trying to tell you? I'm saying, friends, sometimes by faith we think that it equals a perfect path and a perfect road 
and everything comes into line, and everything is hunky-dory, and everything works beautifully, and everything is all nice. It's not the Word of God. The Word of God says by faith. See, Paul was given this incredible encounter. God would take him up into heaven and give him this incredible encounter. And then the same God would allow a buffeting thorn so that it wouldn't cause him to rise up and be arrogant, so that he could display the grace and the power of God. That just doesn't sit well with us because we haven't died to self and we haven't become love. And friends, we're, our arrogance is getting in the way and God wants us to bow to our arrogance. It's our arrogance at the end of the day, friends, to think that I just, I know, let me explain it this way. I know that God is good. He's good, friends. And my job is to hear and obey so God called me, he's good, and he says to me, go and do that. I want you to go to Pakistan, and I want you to go there and preach the word of God. And I go to Pakistan, and I preach the word of God, and they grab hold of me, friends, and they put me and put a camera on me, and they chop me out my head off and kill me by the sword. And Ben is called to go to Afghanistan, and Ben goes off to Afghanistan, and he's in Afghanistan, he's preaching the word, and God uh, is doing amazing things, and the people come to try and grab hold of him, friends, and at the end of the day, people quickly whisk him away, and he gets out, friends, and he goes across to the neighboring country, and he flies home again. Is God good? Is he not good, friends? The challenge that we have, friends, is one, we think God is good, and the other one, we think God is not good. Which means we're basing our lives, friends, on a wrong foundation and we've not become love. And God wants us to become love. I don't know where the story came from. I don't know. Um, I think it was uh, Ravi Zacharias or, or somebody was sharing it. And they were talking about a, a, a beautiful story of, of, in the Middle East of a, of a proverb, I think, in the Middle East of a farmer who had a horse. One horse. He had a horse. And that, that, that's how he operated in his farm. His horse plowed the fields and did everything. He needed that horse. That horse was vital. And then his horse ran away one day. So his neighbor came to him and said to him, he said to him, listen, um, that is very bad luck, bud, that your horse ran away. You rely totally on that horse. He says, I don't know anything about luck. The next minute, a few days later, his horse comes back, and it comes back with 20 other wild horses. And he puts them into his corral, whatever, and the neighbor comes running across and goes, wow, that is such good luck. He says, I know nothing about luck, my friend. And the horses are in the corral, and then his young son comes out, Dad, can I, I want to break one of the horses, uh, you know, get him tame. So the dad says, it's fine. So he goes, he grabs, he lassoes one of the horses, starts to train one of the wild horses, and one of the wild horses kicks him and breaks his leg. And the neighbor comes running across, and he goes, man, that is just bad luck. If you hadn't got the wild horses, you would never have, uh, your son would never have a broken leg. He says, I know nothing about luck, my friend. A few days later, a whole bunch of, of rebels uh, in the area, marauding rebels, they're on their scouting mission to go and grab a whole lot of new recruits. And they come across his farm, and they grab hold of him, and they ask, call out his son. His son comes out, whatever, and they go, no, um, we need able-bodied pe people that can actually, you know, walk properly and what have you, so they say, no, you're no good, and they move on to the next farm. And the neighbor comes running across, and he goes, wow, aren't you lucky that your son had a broken leg? 
What's the point of the story? The point of the story, friends, is that in a short space of time, we had a whole lot of scenarios. The reality is, friends, is that we one day will stand before the Lord, and He will enable us to look back, and you will be able to see with all the fullness. Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see completely, and you'll be able to see the goodness of God. Right now, friends, we can't, uh, 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 we don't have the brains and the capacity to see the fullness of what God sees. Right now, all we've got to know is that God is good, that Jesus accomplished everything on the cross, and our responsibility is to be loved and to go and fulfill the mandate that God called us to through what He did on the cross, the finished work of the cross. And He is always good, friends. And I'll I'll maybe end, because of time, I'll end with this quick story, uh, which is found in the Bible, this one. And... uh, it's in, in, in John chapter 21. John chapter 21 at the end, uh, 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 the last chapter in John, um, Jesus, uh, uh, Peter with all the bunch of guys says, I'm going to go fishing. Off they go. They're going fishing. Jesus comes to the shore. He's standing on the shore. He's looking out at the guys. They're not far off uh, uh, the, 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 the shore. And, uh, and he says, hey, guys, have you caught any fishing? And they go, no, we haven't caught anything. And then he says, oh, why don't you throw on the other side? And so they throw on the other side. Uh, this is a fascinating story because... Only one of them picks up, but you, you kind of go, really? But they throw on the other side, and their net's just full to bring it in. And John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I love the way he writes about himself. He whispers into Peter's ear, and he says, it's the Lord. And then Peter does something, friends, that just it blows my mind every time I read it. It's something you can miss right there, is that Peter is a fisherman, He's working really hard. Fishing is, a re, is really labor-intensive. It's really hard. He is stripped down, friends, to work on the boat. And Jesus says this, and then John says, it's the Lord. He puts on his outer garment and jumps into the water. Have you ever? Why? You've been working hard. You're sweating, friends. Why don't you just jump into the water and go and swim to the shore to see Jesus? He puts on his outer garment. I'll tell you why, friends. I'll tell you why, because he's denied Jesus. Because Luke 22, verse 31, around there, it says this. Satan demanded to have you. Jesus said this of Peter. Satan demanded to have you. Because he wants to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you, Peter, that you would not lose faith. That when you turn, you will strengthen the brothers. Peter, friends, he says, Jesus, I will go to prison. I'll die for you. And Jesus says, this day, the cock will crow. The cock crows, friends, and Peter denies Jesus three times. What do you think he felt like? I think he felt like total... My Bible tells you what the enemy meant for evil. God always turns for good. My Bible tells me that you might see in a mirror dimly now. Peter might have been in that moment where he might have felt, geez, I'm just a waste of time as a disciple. I've denied Jesus. I don't even know why I spent all these years. I don't know why I don't just die. Why doesn't he just kill me? In that moment, he's looking at it going, thinking it's so terrible. But God says, when you turn, 
you're going to strengthen the brothers. That same Peter would rise up on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 would get saved. That Peter, friends, that denied Jesus, sat on the boat and his Lord called him. And he said, I'm putting on my garment because I'm no longer the arrogant Peter. But I'm going to put on my garment because I'm not going to go stand before my Lord naked. I'm going to be humble and I'm going to come before him with a robe. I don't care what it takes me. Such a powerful story of Peter whose life had been transformed and changed. And he swims to Jesus. It's not that far. He's going off to Jesus. And the boat arrives, and it says Peter's the one. Jesus actually got some fish cooking on the, on the just by the way, it's just really good stories. These. They're so good to just look at. Jesus says, have you got any fish? And he's cooking some fish. He's not a fisherman, and he hasn't ever boat, and he hasn't been fishing anywhere. Where's the fish come from? They're on the fire. They're being fed. It's beautiful. That's my Jesus. He just takes care of stuff like that. And he just comes and Peter pulls the, the haul on his 153 fish. And it doesn't break the net, but it should have broken the net. And he says, yeah, come add some of your fish to my fish. And they have this beautiful moment. And we know Peter says, uh, Jesus says to Peter, do you love me? But I love it's like he, they, walk, they walk away a little bit and they're talking. And I love if you don't miss this. But Jesus begins to share him what's going to happen to Peter. And that, you know, where you used to, when you were growing up, you dressed yourself and you decided and went wherever you wanted to. But in your, in your old age before you die, and the way you're going to die is that people are going to dress you and they're going to lead you by the hand. But I love that he turns and has a look. And it says, the disciple whom Jesus loved is following him. Man, catch this, church. There's one standing at the foot of the cross. That Jesus looks down and says, behold, mother, son, son, mother. Jesus is busy walking along talking to Peter. And Peter turns around. And John, the one whom Jesus loved, is following him. Don't you love John? Man, he followed, if you asked him to. He was always following Jesus. And then he says to him, but now what's going to happen to him? He says, don't worry about what's going to happen to him. You just concentrate and worry about what's going to happen to you. See, as the people of God, friends, we are called to follow. Just follow. It doesn't matter what's going to happen to him. What's going to, I'm not there to compare. What I'm there to do is to hear and obey. So what's my illustration? What's my understanding, friends? My understanding and illustration is when we yield and we give our lives to Jesus and we allow Him to transform us and we become love, then we become all about Him, not about ourselves. And the journey that we take, friends, let's look at it through the eyes of love and through the eyes of God, not through the eyes of the natural and what's happening to Him and what's happening to Him. Because my Bible tells me in Hebrews 11 that, there was, that they did both of them in faith. Some guys went and conquered and they were mighty warriors, and they, and they defeated and conquered. Other guys, in faith, were imprisoned and in shackles. And some guys were killed by the sword, and some guys were saved by the sword. It's irrelevant. Because in the days that we're living in right now, friends, what God is doing is causing us to come and fall in love with Him again. And as we fall in love with Him, we fall in love with who He is, and He is good. And it's never to be doubted or, cha or challenged in any way. He is good. And because He's good, friends, we can now begin to operate and walk in whatever journey we're walking on with an understanding, friends, that never will be shaken. That God, as long as you are in this, I'm fine. I'm good. 
whether it's positive or negative. Because God uses things all the time, friends. The Bible says that um, um, when, when, uh, the, 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 that Satan entered Judas. And when Satan entered Judas, he, he, he caused Judas to go and sell out Jesus. And the devil was going, yoo-hoo, yippee, now I'm going to kill Jesus. And the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 2 verse 8, that if the, if the ruler of this age, if the devil had known, he would never have killed Jesus. Why? Because of Colossians 2.14. Because Colossians 2.14 tells us that he disarmed every bit of principality and power. Friends, made an open display of them. So the enemy did not know. He thought, let me enter Judas and let me kill Jesus. So here's Jesus. The enemy thinks is a bad situation. He's dying, but God is at work and turns it around where he defeats all rulers and all authority. Peter is denying Jesus, and, and, and the enemy's thinking, yes, Satan's going, yes, I got him. You see, I demanded him. I wanted him because he's the big, ah, I can do this and that, and let me, let me nail him. And what happened? He became the guy that was causing 3,000 to be saved, that would stand up with boldness, friends. And in and, uh, and the Bible, you can look at many, many situations. You can look at Paul, and you can say, there's Paul. He was given such encounters. God just enabled him to see and to know him in such miraculous, marvelous ways that he couldn't even talk about it. And, and the, the, the pride would want to grab hold of his heart, and the enemy was going, yeah, yeah, I'm going to get him now because he's going to be full of pride, and he's going to get ruined. And God says, no, 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 I've got another plan. I'm going to turn the whole thing around, and Paul's going to become the greatest trumpeter of the things of God, because God is going to allow His grace and His power to operate in and through Paul's life. Friends, in our weaknesses, He is made powerful. I want to encourage every single one of you here today, when you know God is good, when you yield your life to Him, when you just listen and obey, friends, it doesn't matter the journey. It doesn't matter if you stand there and the boss says, I'm not going to promote you because, uh, uh, because you believe in Jesus. You can stand there boldly and go, Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus. I am counted a privilege because you can give insults, you can give hardship to me. But in that weakness, I'm going to show you grace and mercy. I'm not going to show you anger and I'm upset and I'm going to fight this because you don't know what my God is doing because he turns everything for good. So everything in our lives, friends, as we yield to him, it turns for good. Amen. So let's, I want to encourage you here today, whatever you're going through, the difficulties and the challenges, give it to Jesus. Say, Lord, I'm giving you this because that God can turn for good. Because if I will acknowledge him, if I, will, I will stay in that place where he is good. Not challenge who he is. He is good, friends. He will turn everything. Amen. Shall we stand this morning? He will turn everything for good. Now, I know I've gone on preaching a bit longer than I normally do. No, I don't. That's a lie. Sorry. I always preach this long, but... I want to encourage us this morning because part of my journey just, you know, I asked the Lord a lot of questions this week, which I, God doesn't mind questions, but generally he just answers them with questions, which is always really good because you actually don't want the answers, you actually, he just reveals your heart. And I realized just how, how much when we yield to him, we don't have to stress that he is always at work. Even if you take the American elections, it's irrelevant what the outcome was, friends. The reality is, what is God doing? 
because he turns everything for good. And there's nobody that actually gets into power or that operates without his say-so, that he's so in control. And then if we can understand that we, we, we don't want to preach anything else. I don't want to look like intelligent and preach a whole bunch of stuff and fancy stuff. All I want to preach is Christ and Him crucified. I want to preach the cross. I want to preach that Jesus Christ purchased everything that we need on the cross. And if you're here today, I want you to share this very quickly with you. If you go and study in the Bible, Numbers 22, just go study Numbers 22. You'll see there's a story there about the Israelites being naughty and, uh, and the snakes coming and biting them. And then God told Moses to create a, a serpent, put it on a pole, raise it up. And any person who looked at it, any person who looked at it, if the snake bit them, they would get uh, healed. Anybody that the snakes bit, they were obviously deadly snakes, they would die. And then thousands and thousands died. Um, but anybody who looked at it, who just looked at it, friends, would live. Then my Bible tells me in John 3.14, it says, Just as Moses lifted up the serpent, the people looked at it and were saved, so will the Son of Man be lifted up, and their people will be saved. So ask yourself this simple question. Have we added to the gospel, friends, that in the days that we're living in right now, that we are looking at people and saying, well, the reason why you weren't healed is because you have no faith, because you actually have got sin in your life, because you uh, haven't forgiven your brother, because you've got this problem and that problem. As far as I'm concerned, as far as my Bible tells me, they lifted up the serpent. If they looked at it, they were saved or healed. So friends, instead of adding to the gospel, let's believe that Jesus paid the price on the cross for every single thing. Every dysfunction of man has been paid for. And that what we call to do is just to preach the gospel, cause people to look to the cross, look to Jesus, and they will be healed or saved. Friends, and I believe we're going to move into times right now where the power of God is going to be manifest, where the grace of God is going to be manifest in and through our weaknesses. See, that's contrary to the spirit of this age. The spirit of the age wants all our weaknesses to be fixed, to be removed. The gospel has been preached that God takes care of all your weaknesses and they're removed. My Bible tells me that he wants to display his power even in and through my weakness. Because when I'm weak, then he is strong. When I acknowledge that I am naught and he is 100, then he can move as 100 through my life. Now, I've said a lot to this morning, Lord, now, some of it may have been me, some of it may have been flesh, but I thank you, Lord, that the majority of it is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so I want to pray today, Lord God, that you would come, Holy Spirit, and liberate our minds. Sometimes God offends the mind to free the spirit. If your mind has been offended this morning, just embrace it and say, Lord, thank you. I embrace truth because it's truth that will set me free. And I ask you now, Lord God, where I may have had wrong thinking, any wrong thinking about the cross, I've added to the cross, the gospel, or even in my own life, where I maybe have sat there and cried out and gone, 
Oh God, why am I in this fraught marriage? Why do I, is my auntie Susie got cancer? Or why is I, have I got no money? And why this and why that? And the Lord says, I am good. Die to self. Yield to me. Hear my voice and obey. And my grace will be sufficient for you. And my power will be made perfect in your weakness. As I said before, if it's a bad choice or a sin, he's not talking about that. You need to repent and deal with those things. Talking about in our weaknesses. Because, friends, we make these nice, wonderful statements that I'm, God is making me more like Him. I want to be like Jesus. Well, if we look at Jesus' life, love took Him to the cross. And love made Him hang on the cross until everything was dealt with. Love, friends, sometimes will take you to places that are not comfortable, that are not nice, that cost. But if we will allow His grace and His power to shine and give glory to the Son, to Jesus, friends, then we will see His kingdom come and His will be done in and through our lives. So I'm praying today as a church, Lord God, as we're going after your presence, that as you transform us, Lord God, we're not looking for an easy life. We're not looking for still waters, nice seas. We're not looking for pina coladas. I'm not looking for a retirement home in the Bahamas. What I am looking for, Lord God, is a life that's totally yielded to you, a life where I can hear your voice and obey, and a life that's totally in love and fulfilled in you. I'm asking that you would do that, Lord, supernaturally by the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you know that in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18, it says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks to the Lord, for this is the will of God for you. Rejoice, joy, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks. Friends, your prayers should be surrounded by joy and thanksgiving. How can our prayers constantly, without ceasing, be surrounded by joy and thanksgiving? When you know God is good and you know that you're content in whatever He's telling you to do, whether it's difficult or not difficult. Lord, I know this is difficult for us to try and swallow in one gulp, but I ask, Lord God, that we would chew on it, meditate on it, and it will become a reality in our lives. And as we're standing here, every single one of us here today, Father, I pray for the Spirit of God to come upon us in a fresh and a new way, to fill us to overflowing. Because God wants us to live in the overflow. He wants people to drink from the overflow. Don't drink from the cup. Drink from the overflow. Because God loves to fill the cup. He wants you to have a relationship that has overflow. People just drink from what's flowing out. It's where you pray from, not pray to. When you pray, pray from a place of joy and thanksgiving, then God moves. So, Lord, I pray steady our hearts during this time. 
if, if, if any of us, Lord God, have been uh, studying uh, social media and the American politics over the last week and have certainly um, not made our lives stable, um, I just ask right now, Lord God, that you'd bring your peace, the government of your peace, as what happened this morning, come upon our lives. I thank you, Lord God, that we establish and align ourselves back to the will of God and the word of God and that God is good all the time. And that, Lord, this week we would launch out, not with plausible words, not with fancy words, but just simply with the gospel. And it doesn't matter if we get accepted or rejected. It's irrelevant, Lord. Let your grace and power be manifest for the glory of your Son in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen. 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 Bless you guys. I know it's, time is gone. If any of you are needing prayers.